prison and half can Oh God! Daddy, stay on your bike! Dude, burning and you don't want to turn around anymore and you know if somebody now attacks you're going to be like blown out of the water but you just go no i just keep going just keep going tied on the inside it's this solo on the barriers oh what about that now then everybody i am tom ramsey and welcome to the edge coaching podcast this podcast will provide a clear insight into the world of athletic performance and help provide a clear, relatable understanding into subject areas revolving training, nutrition, stress, psychology, and much, much more. Without further ado, let's begin. Good morning, hello, and welcome to the Edge Coaching Podcast, episode number 28. Today's podcast is everything to do with the mental side of training and racing. Most of the subject areas in today's podcasts were derived from questions that some of my um, clients and some of my Instagram followers submitted in the past couple of days. And we go fairly deep on some of them, actually. We go very deep into subject areas revolving why we put ourselves through so much pain and discomfort in training. Um, we go into subjects areas revolving anxiety and pre-race nerves and stress. Um, and one thing I will say prior to this podcast is we do touch on many different areas revolving this subject area. And um, although there is um, much we could say about all of these different topics, we do kind of glance over some of them. So if you do want bit more information on any of these subject areas then please drop me a message or get in contact with our guest speaker himself. Our guest speaker today is Simon Taylor. He has been on the podcast before and he's a great friend of mine but also he's well versed in everything to do with sport physiology and psychology. He's a sports coach and a life coach and um he is, uh, yeah, like I say, he's he's very, very knowledgeable in, in lots of these subject areas that we talk about. To set the scene, this podcast was recorded at 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, on a Monday morning, and it was done via Zoom, and I recorded the audio from that Zoom call to upload to the podcast. Um, the podcast was done very, very casually. We didn't really rehearse it going into it. I just asked Simon a few days prior to the podcast, uh, sorry, prior to the conversation, um, if he would fancy jumping in with me on it, and he said yes. So we didn't really have time to rehearse, and I actually pressed record on the Zoom call fairly early into our conversation, so you'll even get some of our general chat before we delve into the subject areas as well. So without further ado, let's jump into the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, all good. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've uh, made some, <laughs> made a few notes last night on the on the podcast. Um, yeah. But yeah, otherwise, all, all fine. No issues. Come up to Christmas, isn't it? So, getting. How are you? Um, are you like training at the minute? Still, your kind of standard weightlifting bits of kind of bike riding in between. Bits here and there. Yeah. Um. Probably not so much of the bike riding. I've, 
lot of tennis at the minute, actually, mm-hmm. which is cardiovascularly pretty good. Um, so yeah, enjoying that. And then weightlifting, yeah, stuff in the garage. So you're going to a gym at the moment, aren't you? I am, yeah. Um, I've, I'm just going to change the view on this because it's pissing me off. You know, when it's like I'm on the right and you're on the left, I keep like yeah. I flicking my eyes between them both. <laughs> I'm like watching. Yeah, I know what you mean. Can you do that? <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. So, I've got it so I can yeah, just yeah, see yeah. you now. That's I know what you mean. You, you know what? Right. So I was talking to someone about this because obviously I do quite a lot of um, like Zoom meetings and what yeah. work. And I was talking to someone how about how irritating it is that you can see yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Zoom yeah. meetings, and, and ever since that point, the person that I was speaking to has um, he, he's put a post-it note over himself on, on meetings because he literally can't. He, now I've like brought his awareness to it. He literally can't stand it. Yeah, it's because uh, I'm really bad for it. I end up watching myself more than the other person. Yeah, yeah I know it's awful. It's awful. and um, it's so bizarre when you think when you're having a normal conversation with someone. And let's say we met up in yeah, yeah, know, yeah. in Alathorpe, right? Yeah, and we were walking along. You can't see yourself, no, can you? No, so exactly. it's just such an odd situation yeah, where yeah, you yeah. can. No, yeah. See yourself. Anyway. Going back to what you're saying, I, I'm I'm doing a bit of. Um, and this, to be honest, I'm glad this po- podcast has come up because I feel yeah. that I've the direction of what my training is going is yeah. is massively depend like it's it's driven by my mental state and what mm-hmm. I, I, I'm doing a lot of my training purely based on what is enjoyable at the time you want to do and actually yeah. nothing to do with my kind of long-term goals or what yeah. I what I think I should be doing and um yeah but it's yeah it's so it's a good topic of conversation today and, and we'll bring in a lot of stuff yeah. around that whole subject area I guess but no it, to, to answer your question yeah I'm doing a fair bit of gym work at the minute and I've been I was up at crack of dawn this morning at the gym and uh I'm really really enjoying early morning lifting at the minute and um it's a good a good headspace when yeah you can just i mean especially for me as well like i'm i've got a little uh in fact is it one me yeah i'll show you it via camera <laughs> i've got a little notebook here which okay. is called the fitness logbook okay and it's so for every single session it's gone mm. I don't know how well you can see, but it's got the exercise yeah, yeah. and then it's okay, got yeah, yeah. a space for sets and um, weight and the sets all the yeah. way through. So I can really, really easily quantify how I'm progressing every single session. So I can just look back at the previous session because I've basically got mm. three sessions that I rotate yeah. um, and I just go back to three week, to three sessions ago, look what sets and reps and weight I was doing and then just ask for yeah i'm working in a rep range of like six to eight ish so as soon as i get up to nine ten reps i just put a bit more weight on and then ramp it up again and it's you know what it it's such a simple way it's so nice isn't it it's just but nice this yeah. is, it was for because obviously there's people who haven't this might be a picture including the podcast there's people who don't have 
weight at their disposal people who might not feel comfortable going to a gym people who might not uh, well particularly during the, the you know the last few lockdowns last year um who just you know don't have access to weights essentially so people are doing these body weight exercises mm. which are really really good but they are much more difficult to kind of feel that progression whereas oh, with yeah. weights it's so tangible you add you know another 2.5 kilos onto your yeah. onto your bench press and it just exactly you, you, there's no arguing with that exactly i must admit though like this morning I, I i i went in the gym a bit feeling a bit fatigued feeling a bit no. not quite on it okay but i'd um i'd lo- <laughs> i'd loaded up on caffeine before it and i was kind yeah. of like g'd up for a good session and i did a f- couple of warm sets and i was thinking ah this doesn't feel quite right um doing split squats at the time and mm-hmm. uh and I saw what weight I did last time, and I saw 80 kilos for three sets of eight. And I thought, 80 kilos for a split squat? Yeah, well, you know what? Hell. Right, no, this is this is <laughs> weird, right? Get this. My squat at the minute yeah. for eight reps, double leg, yeah. is about 100 kilos. Yeah. My split squat <laughs> on one leg is currently 85 kilos for the same amount of reps. Wow. Now, I don't understand the physiology behind it, but y- y- you'd expect that I'm, you know, I'm only half as strong with one leg. But I think it's something to do with the, the mechanics of the movement in a split squat. You're going back a lot more than, um, you know, your center of mass is a lot further back, isn't it? Yeah. Obviously, that other leg is taking a certain percentage of the weight as well. Um, but yeah, I, I feel a lot stronger on on that one leg split squat than I do. Than I do a normal squat. Um, is it different between your two legs? No, no, no. Um, Same on both. Yeah. So this morning, this morning I worked up to th- uh, three sets of eight, eighty-five kilo split squat. Um, but but e- equally, like that feels. What am I saying here? Like if I do three sets of eight hundred k squat, eight hundred. Sorry, a hundred k squat. Um, <laughs> yeah. The 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 reason i can't do any more is because yeah. of the weight on the bar as in like, yeah, yeah i'm maxed out the reason i can't go any heavier in a split squat at the minute is because when i put go up to 90 100k split squat i yeah. feel like if i make any error i'm gonna be going over sideways and causing yeah, myself injury. whereas i actually feel like my leg is actually strong enough to go a little bit heavier to go a bit heavier um but yeah, where are you putting the bar? Are you front squatting it or no, no, uh, back back squat? You back time. squat, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, I've, I've so I've started in the gym doing. I'm doing front squats at the minute, and oh, yeah. the challenge for me, and this is uh, again relatable for people who are sitting at desk all day. The challenge for me is that rack position. Oh yeah, mm. and I mean you can see there, my sh- oh, yeah, fle- shoulders are flexible enough, more so than most people would probably say, but. Actually, when you're going down to the squat, the you know the bar will does start to kind of roll forwards a bit, so you're really having to kind of mm. keep that position. It's that it's tiring position. that, isn't it? Really holding hard. that holding yeah, that position really difficult, um, and that massively affects the way. I mean, I'm only doing 
what, 45 kilos or something at the minute mm. on that front squat because just because of holding that position, you know, legs wise, obviously, I'd like to think I can squat a bit more than that, but yeah, just keeping that position. But it's really obviously posturally, it's really good and you know, functional. I'm not training for any event or, or anything like that at the minute, so yeah. it's it's kind of functional training that I'm doing. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how different movements the weights yeah. differ so much. And it wrecks, wrecks your quads, front squats as well, then it really does, yeah. The, the um. That, I mean, I'm, I must admit, you mentioned it just there, as much as, you know, I'm going in every single session at the minute with the mindset as I, I want to progress this and I'm listening four mm. times a week and it's easy to get into that mindset. I'm also mindful, though, that if you are too regularly going in with that mindset of, right, I want to progress the weight, sometimes yeah. you can get into um, uh, a way of kind of... Uh, negatively affecting your lifts to some extent yeah. so yes almost so like technique. yeah exactly so yeah, yeah um what was it i mean i was doing some rack pulls the other day and i progressed mm. that and then i'm like i'm asking myself well am i doing more weight because i'm just on the eccentric phase of the lift i'm just going down faster uh, or am i actually lifting more weight because i've just got stronger so sometimes yeah. you just got to step back a couple of steps haven't you to like think okay well I'm going to specifically time my eccentric load here and make sure that I'm doing it, you know, on point. I'm making sure that my back's absolutely hallway. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting period for me. Um, yeah, but, definitely. But, uh, but yeah, so for those who don't know you on the podcast, Simon, I know that you've starred in a couple now. Um, yeah. <laughs> Just uh, give us a little bit of a background about you. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, my background is is physiology. So started off um, oh, seven years ago now um, working with clients one-to-one or people one-to-one um, and essentially taking physiological measures and helping them to improve those physiological measures. So we're talking blood pressure, cholesterol, um, all those sorts of bits. Um, and then more recently, I am working in kind of health promotion. And then alongside that, do a bit of coaching as well. So um, that's obviously the, the perspective I'll hopefully be bringing to the podcast today. Um, and, and the coaching, kind of health coaching, mainly in contrast to, um, to your performance coaching, I would say. So talking to people one-to-one about various bits and bats um, uh, about how to improve lifestyle uh, and little bits there in, in relation to kind of uh, life performance, I would say. So performing at work, performing in jobs, that sort of stuff as well. Um, so yeah, hopefully uh, a few different things I can can bring today. Perfect. No, so the, the podcast today, um, the reason I asked you to, to step in and, and, uh, asked if you could help out today was because if I'm honest as my job is very very um physiology based and it's Mm -hmm. very uh you know uh, looking at physical parameters such as power on the bike heart rate numbers and uh, someone's physical performance Mm -hmm. and when it comes to the mental side of things there's a lot of um stuff that i've read up on and there's obviously we we did um we did the same uh did we do the same degree or did you do- we were slightly different but yeah i think it was it? essentially the same yeah it was both sort of outside. went off in different paths yeah i couldn't remember if you did the performance coaching degree or no 
You did the I did, injury management. No, I didn't actually. I did. So there was, <laughs> when we were doing our degrees, there was three pathways, I think. And I did the one that basically no one, I think there was only like seven people on the, the way that I did. Whereas yours, I think there was probably so what was yours 30, called? 40 or something. Mine was called, um, what was it called? Exercise practice. Ah, so yes. it was basically... I don't know what, why it was called that, but it was it was basically um, focused on the public health side of things, which yeah. kind of makes sense in terms of the area that I've mm. gone into. And for you, really, you know, obviously yeah. performance conditioning, um, you know, is the area that you're in mm. now. And, and you know, same for me. I'm very much in the public health space now. So, it's, you know, what are the minimum? I feel like I feel like stuff? we're some of the only. Uh students who actually followed the path of the degree i know honestly <laughs> i'll see the, the amount of times that i've seen people doing these one-to-one assessments yeah. that i used to do um and and they're doing something that's so unrelated and i'll be yeah. kind of, I'll, I'll you know making small talk away what what degree did you do and they've like done a flipping geography degree or something and they're like doing some business <laughs> yeah, hr yeah, yeah. or something it's yeah it's in, it's interesting actually yeah. the, the amount of people that do that and don't use the content of the degree absolutely i think there's so many different vocational uh pathways as well now isn't there and, and i think you yeah. can you know the act of going through three years of a degree four years of a degree and then yeah. it gives you a lot of uh, uh education and understanding and then you can kind of branch yes. off whichever way you want but that yeah the reason i had kind of got you on is because um yeah that as much as my job is very uh, physiology based the psychology stuff i do definitely think you are um much better well versed than i am and you've got a much better under understanding and ac academic understanding of certain terminology and, and terms and i think we can bounce ideas off really well with regards to some of the stuff that um comes up in the podcast but yeah, yeah. Today, today we're going quite deep um I think I'm probably going to call a podcast something something like the mental side of training and racing or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the reason that I decided to do a podcast, um, a question that came up from uh, one of my clients um, in, in conversation. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pull up my phone now and yeah. uh, have a little look at exactly what he asked a few weeks ago. Um I'll, I'll read it out word by word. It was on a WhatsApp message. So, hi, Tom. A couple of topics for your next podcast, possibly. A bit of psychology, maybe, but at the end uh, but the end, end of a race, do you focus more on who you beat or who beat you? Also, at the end of a race, do you think you gave it your all or I could have gone a little bit harder? Personally, I focus more on who beat me and always think I could have tried harder. I'm putting it down to predominantly thinking negatively, negatively about myself. Yeah. <laughs> and one reason I didn't start competing till I was in my 40s, something I'm working on changing. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of one area where going to hopefully kind of go over a little bit but i've also asked on my instagram over the last couple of days a few if anyone's got any other questions or areas of, of topics that they want me to go over um and i think we're going to split this podcast up into basically four different sounds good the first section and i get like just for any listeners 
Simon and I have not really rehearsed this podcast whatsoever. Um, I basically just said to Simon a few days ago, do you fancy coming over to talk about the mental side of training racing? And he was like, yeah, why not? So the first area I was going to talk about is, is handling bad race performances um, Mm. or perceived bad race performances. Um, The second part was going to be, um talking a little bit about how to be happy with your successes in in racing and training and i, I appreciate them those trying to go hand in hand to, to some extent um the third topic i was going to talk about which a few people asked about actually was um pre-race anxiety and nerves and and how to cope with that a little bit mm-hmm. and i also appreciate simon that these are quite um sparse topics they, they do bounce off quite in different directions but and then the last little bit i was going to talk about is um or the fourth quarter is is it all worth it so Ooh. yeah this is the deep one i guess and this yeah, is yeah. this is something that i constantly ask myself so is all the training all the commitment all the the racing and everything involved with it worth it in the first place mm, okay Okay, so I guess the question is, how do we start? But <laughs> I'll um. So handling bad race performance. Do you think there's a? In fact, talking going over those four, four quarters, Simon. Do you think there's a, an area which might be best to start off with first of all? Do you have an opinion on how this might yeah. follow through? I guess I mean, clearly, when you're there's a there's a, a chronological um, kind of set of steps that, that you go through, I guess, don't you? You know, you, you start off your race and you have to get yourself in that certain mindset. You do your race and you've got to be, uh, you know, maintain a, that positive mindset throughout the race. And then you've got after the race where you, um, again, have to kind of reflect back um, and not allow any deficits in performance to potentially affect then uh, you know your future training or your future races so i guess you know that's a cycle uh, so i suppose mm. we can we can enter that at any point i suppose the first one you mentioned was the how do you handle bad performance so mm. i guess we could we could start there couldn't we yeah, yeah. Um, and ju- just so people are aware so you did i think the only prep really that we have done for this is you sent me anonymously you sent me that mm. message that that person sent to you and and it was interesting for me seeing that um because i I think i mentioned before a lot of the people that i work with are um not necessarily before athletes and uh, for performance but i do regularly work with people who want to perform better it may be in other areas so i was kind of drawing some um drawing some distinctions between uh, those two two kinds of people i guess um and to be honest it, it feels very much like the same thing and uh, the first kind of word that came to me was was confidence or self-efficacy um, mm-hmm. which is probably why this is a good place to start so I guess what we're saying is that after a race you can finish that race and, and you can kind of feel two ways but you know maybe lots of things in between you can you can either feel good about your performance and feel like it's gone really well and, and that's going to kind of boost your confidence and boost your self-efficacy or you can feel in a way that it's gone really terribly um, and that's going to, that's going to knock your performance. So I don't know, Tom, we, you know, you've done uh, a lot more racing than I have kind of where, where you come in with that and, and how you, 
how you generally perceive that and how it might affect your performance? Yeah, the um, I, I think something that I've learned over the past few years is that athletes, myself included, can be extremely fragile creatures. And, and as much as we often go into races and race performances with this really kind of um, hard guy or hard woman uh, face on and, and we try and zone out these feelings, um, any little thing which um, kind of uh, goes slightly wrong can quite easily set us off path and, and affect yeah. our race day, our our feelings following the race. Um, and yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had many different, um, uh, examples in my own performances where, um, you know, something hasn't quite gone to plan or I don't feel like I've performed in the way I wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. and there's many other, um, scenarios where some of my clients are in a similar, similar boat, I guess, you know, performance results are, are massively, contextual and uh you know if your goal for example is to finish a major stage race um even the last finishing place may be a success uh whereas if your goal is to win a race and you know you you are at the top of your game then you may regard second place out of 500 people as like the first loser and mm. and and suddenly you'll be majorly disappointed with the result um, and, and athletes of all abilities are often, you know, way too hard on, on themselves and myself included. Um, uh, and, and one thing I do know is that athletes of all abilities, um, are often kind of, uh, you know, boasting about the successes yet within their own minds, athletes kind of frequently, um, prescribe to, to good results and luck, um, mm. and, uh, rather than the other way around. So yeah, it's it's something that um, is is massively massively within sport performances. And like I say, when I was asking for certain questions, there was maybe three or four people which were all in a similar boat, saying, you know, how do you deal with um, your results and how do you feel proud of them and things like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that word perceived is interesting, isn't it? Because it it is all perceived, uh, and as you said there one person's success is another person's failure um and i think it all comes down to how how you perceive yourself and, and your own abilities because if you if you think that your performance is not in line with your abilities i think that's when we're going to see this gap but i mean what we know is that something like confidence or self-efficacy is correlated really highly with your performance so that can be kind of the mediating factor um and, and you said something there about how when you you know fin you finish a race it can almost kind of it can almost escalate it can snowball so you, you may have have that kind of thought after a race of that was terrible um i performed really badly there and i mean one of the things that i have tended to work on with people is having that thought but then not allowing that to um become something that informs your uh, global opinion of yourself so i guess when we think about our thoughts and um, our perceptions of our, our self 
we, we've kind of got a few different levels and, and one of those levels is to say after you know after you've done a race I performed badly in that race and that in isolation isn't necessarily going to have a massive effect on your confidence because you're seeing it as something which is as is an isolated incident um and you know that's not then a reflection of maybe your future or your past performance when we start to um, make assertions about ourselves that are uh, more global so i did badly in that race that's because i am a bad cyclist or that's because i am a bad person that's when it really starts to um become something quite quite negative become something that is going to potentially affect future performance and um you know obviously kind of mental health wise it's not going to do you well for that either if you start to think you're a bad person so i mean one of the yeah that's one of the first things i'll, I'll work on with some people and 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 there's there's a few examples of that you know um kind of you could use analogies of grains of sand and you know how many how many grains of sand are in a jar and you know that race is what is one of those grains of sand you know are, are you going to empty out the whole jar just because one of those grains of sand is is, is defective or whatever you know there's lots of different analogies you can you can use for that um but yeah that that's one of the first things that came to my head when you first sent me this message i don't know if you've got any anything to expand on with that yeah the um i think one thing that I kind of always, because I want to think about this practically as well on, 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 on how individuals can potentially change their mindset, not only after the race, uh, whether that went good or bad, but also um, perceived good or bad, uh, but also going prior to the race, you know, going in with different mindsets and how you approach the race can massively, massively change your feelings post-race. So something that I always um, uh, make sure is that my athletes are never kind of going into a race with a, a be-all and end-all kind of um, target or goal in their mind. And I don't know if this is something that you'd agree on or, or not so much. But so, for example, some athletes may go into a race performance and they're only one and one and only goal is to get a certain time in a time trial. So, you know, there, um, I mean, I'll, I'll make this a, a very clear example. Um, I did a 10 K road race fairly recently and I went in with, um, a goal, my main goal being to a running, running race. This is to try and beat 35 minutes. Now that was my a goal. So that is like what I absolutely aspired to try and achieve. Um, and, and if anything, that was slightly, slightly um, almost verging on unrealistic, what I thought compared to some of my training times and things like that. But I also had a, like a B goal, a B target to work to so that if I didn't quite manage that A goal, then that's something that I could work on next time. But there's also a B goal that I'd be really, really satisfied with going into the race. And then last but not least, there's like a C goal, which would also be, you know, there, there as a catch, a fail safe, if, yeah. if nothing went too well. Um, and I think having those three things defined, written down or planted in your head prior to the race would, is a, a great thing to do. Um, so for me, that was a 35 minute 10 K 
as an A goal, a 36 minute 10K as a B goal, and then a C goal was to finish the race. Um, yeah. Okay. So, is that, would you say that's uh, something to, good to work on? Yeah, I do a lot of goal setting. It's it kind of the the backbone of the, of any coaching that I'll tend to do. And good? there's a lot of theory around how to set a good goal. Um, I was actually reading about this the, the other day in terms of there's there's a there's the, a goal setting theory. Um, two people called Locke Lock and Latham, mm-hmm. and they, they this is kind of the smart. Most people have heard of smart goal setting. Um, they didn't necessarily come up with that. That was something slightly before, but um, they they've basically kind of come up with all these these factors that make a good goal. And, and inherently, uh, two of the you know, one well one of the main things is actually making sure the goal is challenging. So actually, if you set a goal that's too easy, you're less likely to though get, then go and achieve that because you don't perceive it to be something that's difficult enough to kind of almost bother with. Um, so that's really important. But in in the context of what we're talking about with regards to almost trying to overachieve what what i'll tend to find is that people will and again for me talk to a lot of people for example who want to lose weight so someone will come in and say um i want to lose uh, you know 10 kilos in the next two weeks or something that's kind of completely unachievable and these are kind of, these are the kind of people who've had a lot of past failures as well where they've tried to lose weight and again you can relate this back to cycling performance maybe you've 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 set these goals in the past and you've just constantly kept not achieving them Uh, the best thing you can do in that circumstance is set a goal that you are you are sure is realistic where there's a certain level of challenge but it's a small goal that that, that's realistic so to to give an example on on the weight loss front if someone's coming and saying you know i want to lose this much weight it may be that the goal is um, not something which is um, kind of this this kind of bigger goal that's over you know maybe a six month period or whatever. It may just be um, this week I'm going to eat um, I, I don't know two pieces of fruit a day, mm. for example. So it's a little, it's a very small goal. It's something that's going to get get you started, um, and you, you can then kind of build on that success. Whereas if you've got no baseline, you've never, you've never had success. You've never felt what success is. All you ever feel is that you've failed because every single time you do something, you've set this insane goal, which is not reachable for you. Mm. um, And then you fail. That's a much, much worse psychologically and much worse way of going about that goal setting process. Realistic goals is something that, uh, it, like is is like so important and i am um, I, I had a, a very classic example fairly recently one of i was i was um uh, the long and short of it is a client decided or we mutually decided with one of these clients of mine that weight loss was a a key um performance thing that we needed to try and resolve he he was overweight and and without even looking at the power on his bike we knew that we needed to lose a fairly shifty amount of weight um to increase his cycling performance and um but also his health as well and uh we had a discussion about um what he currently ate um and we were probably he was probably basically just obviously very obviously it was over consuming calories for the amount that he's doing. Um, and, uh, he, he said, right, I want to lose weight. Um, 
I think I'm going to try and cut out this, this, and this. And I reckon that'll be about 1,500 calories that I'm going to be consuming over the next few few weeks. That's what he said. And I, and I kind of just, uh, you know, held back my laughter initially and, and said to him, I said to him, well, I'm, I'm, I, you know, that, that's unrealistic goal. You know, it's, um, you're currently consuming about 4,000 calories a day. Um, and, uh, you know, going down to 1,500 calories is, is just not achievable and it's going to put you in uh, not a good state at all. So I said, what we're going to do is we're just going to, all we're going to do is that at the minute in your typical day, you have three biscuits at 10 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. All we're going to do is we're going to take those three biscuits out of your day um, and change nothing else. And he was like, yeah. what, what, but what, what's going on? I, like, I always have a pudding after tea. I can't, I need to cut yeah. the pudding out. Well, well, you know, let's just do this small change for, yeah. and let's just do this for three weeks, see what happens. Um, and yeah, it's uh, straight away. We, we, you know, these three biscuits accounted for like 600 calories or something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and straight away, you know, it, it was a nice, realistic, achievable little thing that he could do, um, which yeah. for him felt too easy. Like it, yeah. I think, athletes take this all or nothing approach don't they and everyone a lot of people do um but yeah realistic little targets is very important yeah you, you can't you can't focus on a hundred areas at once and and yeah similarly again i'll get people who come into coaching who want to they want to manage their stress they want to exercise more they want to completely change their entire diet and the the people who try and do all those things you know again it doesn't it doesn't breed success you 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 what you, you want to kind of really be focused and, and mm. perhaps bringing it back to the the cycling performance um you know if you're trying to um, set lots of goals going to a race and I, you know I need to do this section in this time and I need to beat this particular individual and all that and, and well the, the one around beating a certain individual you know, I know that was something that was mentioned in the yeah, original message was, yeah that kind of that's that's an that's another fork in the road there whereby we're saying well actually do you really want to set goals that are out of your control because what if that person has an amazing day um and they just happen to be better than you on that day. You've then set a goal which you have no control over, um, and again, you're not gonna you're not gonna build on that that success. So, um, for like a that's, bit of a tangent yeah. there, but no, that's a very good point. I I am cyclists are very bad at comparing themselves to others. That is a mm-hmm. an, a fact. Um, and well, athletes in general are. And especially with the days of things like Strava, where you can constantly be monitoring what other people are doing. And I will, for anyone who's listening to this podcast, I will, I will tell you that nobody looks and watches you more carefully than, than your kind of enemies and the people that want to, what you want to beat you. Um, And in a race performance, like you say, it's very easy to, Although you personally might have a great race, the individual that you normally beat or whatever it might be, or you're normally quite close to may have got 20 seconds on you in that race. And it's very easy to completely negate the the fact that you've just had a fantastic race and you've got a better position than normal just because this other individual has, has beaten you. Um, yeah. And it's, um, it's very important to kind of contextualize that and, and, and focus on the, the positive aspects. So just to, I guess, um, 
I know we've kind of gone into a few different points there on that, but one of the one of the people that asked a question, um, and let's just, I guess, let's have a very condensed answer. I guess so. Mm -hmm. If someone just came in to you, Simon, and asked you this question, how would you how would you go about trying to um, trying to help him understand? He mm -hmm. asks, um, how do you deal with thinking you should have done better than you did? Reflection techniques? Question mark. Thinking. Can you say it again. How do you do? How do? How do you deal with thinking? you should have done better than you did? Thinking you should have done better than you did. Anything, anything where you're coming back to thinking, for me, is about um, the, the nature of those thoughts and, again, the impact that they're going to have globally. Um, when you're yeah when you're thinking that you should have done better then sometimes there's going to be some truth in that and sometimes there isn't so you know we can go back to the the physiology of things and, and if, if you usually perform at a certain number of watts over a certain number a certain period of time and you haven't then done, been able to replicate that in the race then there's, I guess there's some objective data there to say, well, yeah, in theory, you, you should have done better. I guess the thing for me is, how are you then using that information to inform future practice? So um, in, in terms of positive reflection, you can, you, can, you can have that thought and you can use that thought to then re, you know, reflect back and try to understand Okay, well, what, well, what, what was the mediating factor there? Was there some? Was there a headwind? Was there someone who was, um, you know, stopping you from being able to to over, do an overtaking maneuver, etc.? You know, there's all these these factors, um, and and for me, is in terms of positive reflection techniques, reflecting just on your performance in in a kind of regular way in terms of just thinking okay well what could i've done differently da, 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 da. that is absolutely fine provided you're not allowing that to then go off on on this tangent of you know i'm an idiot because i didn't do that or you know i, I i'm i'm a terrible person and again this kind of feeding back into into then your future performance if that mm -hmm. makes sense mm -hmm. absolutely no i think um one thing also that um, is definitely a, a big thing in cycling performance and, and not only, and I, I appreciate this is sometimes different to just general underperformance mm. is actually coping with, with things like misfortune as well. When, yeah. cause this is another question that came up and I'm trying to link them all in here. So um, sure. uh, when, when you might have raced well, when everything was going well, but something um, beyond your control came up and mm. and took that away from you and this for me is some of one of the hardest things to get over when i when i personally underperform and i know it was my own fault and i didn't train very well for that or i didn't prepare very well for that then i i personally i can i can deal with that because i take it on my shoulders 
And like you say, you reflect on it, you think, okay, well, how can I personally get better? What was the element of that race that um, went, went wrong for me? And, and how can I um, turn that around and, and build on that better for next time? But when something in a race went, went wrong because of nothing of my, my own fault, it was purely misfortune. That is when it's difficult for me. And I can think of a one, one example in particular where I was winning a cyclocross race um, and I was beating individuals that would normally beat me and I was way ahead of people. And on the last lap, some tape got caught in my gears, basically. It got caught in my rear mech, stripped my rear mech off. Um, and it was tape that was actually dragged onto the course from a lapping rider straight in right. front of me. And I cannot tell you how fucking frustrated i was that day yeah. i was so and i i nearly lost my shit i was like so annoyed but um but so that's a that's an element which 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 is um which is quite hard to get around and yeah I, i've just like noted down three little three little quick points here which i kind of want to go over and and mm -hmm. and one is um the investment of time like i think it's quite a long process to get to get over those scenarios it's not just mm. something that you can just say oh it's fine i'll get over it you know realistically it's it's a time when you know it, it's far too easy for the coach or the parent um to say i'll get over it and move on but putting yourself in that scenario is is not a good approach um yeah and and the athlete is likely to experience all the same associated feelings um you know a long long time later um so think of each emotion that you pass through as a, as like a, a stage. And as you pass through the different stages, naturally you will kind of complete them and move on to the next. Um, but only if you passed through one of these stages, um, you will successfully proceed the situation. Um, mm. Sorry, process the situation. Um, but also kind of a, a big understanding and realization of what actually happened. Um, yeah. You know, examine the performance and, and putting these pieces together to fully understand what happened and why it might have happened. So if you were caught in a crash, for example, um, was this poor performance down to bad luck or could you have actually done something to prevent this from happening? Um, and, uh, but yeah, is there anything on that that you might want to touch on or? Yeah, I, I think I think there is. Yeah, so um, resilience is the word that really comes into mind for me. Um, a, a really good example of this is fairly recently for Formula One fans. Uh, you may have seen what happened oh, yes. to Lewis Hamilton. That you, you might know about this. Mm. Um, where basically, um, for those who aren't aware, he was basically winning a race by about fourteen seconds. Got to the last lap and uh, an incident happened so um they, they had a safety car out and uh, essentially what happened was he he was in a, in a great position he was then put in a compromised position and got overtaken on the last lap even though it wasn't really his fault because he basically hadn't changed his tires tactically um with good reason prior to that event um 
And it's interesting looking at the way he's kind of handled that from a resilience perspective. He he is very much kind of bounced back and he's come off so much better as a result. If he would have kicked up a, a big fuss about it and, and um, he would have been seen as being a bad sport, whereas actually he's, he's actually received quite a lot of praise for the way that he's handled the situation. So when we talk, when we're talking about resilience, one of the elements, there's two kind of key elements of resilience. One of the elements is, can I bounce back? from adversity and then the other element is can I maintain a stable state of mental well-being so that bouncing back element is is kind of the important part and when you when when you're on this kind of journey when you've had something like this happen and you mentioned there about kind of feeling these different emotions again a a tool for people that I've used previously um, with, with my own coaching clients is um, thinking about your future self and, and these kind of paths that you can go down at this point. And one of the paths you could go down at that point is um, kind of saying to yourself, this is completely unfair. Um, I can't believe this has happened to me. You, you know, sometimes that catastrophization of this is always happening to me. Um, uh, and again, it's kind of breathing that negativity of, of, of almost kind of perhaps that feeling that, well, you know, all the training I've put in is pointless. Um, And again, it can start to make you feel quite negative, uh, make you feel, um, you know, not good about the fact that actually, you know, it wasn't really your fault, but you're, you're then going to experience this negativity. You know, the other path you can take is one whereby you, you use it as a learning opportunity and you can say to yourself, well, actually, if, if that hadn't have happened, I would have, I'm, I'm the better person in that race, really. You know, if I, if in the situation you were in, Tom, you were first, you were, you were winning the race. So actually physiologically and, and in terms of your, your ability to perform, your ability to perform is better than all the other people. You've, you've mm-hmm. proven that to yourself and um, you know, we can, you, you can use that to your advantage and say, well, okay, well, if I just keep going as I am, the next race, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to win it because yeah. bad things aren't going to happen every single time. So yeah, I say that exercise of, okay, well, where do I want to be in, let's say you've got another race in a month's time. Where do I want to be in a month's time? And how am I going to get there? Um, and likely the way that you're going to get there isn't going to be through falling into this, this hole of why does this have to me? This is awful, all that sort of stuff. Next, we had a few questions with regards to um, being happy with successful performances. So when things went well, and I guess we've already kind of um, talked a lot about that and, and, and how uh, obviously dealing with bad race performances and being ha- happy with successful performances, they kind of massively interlinked, would you say, Sam? Um, yeah. But um, But yeah, there, there's many, I mean, you know, for the people who have asked these questions about being happy with successful performances, um, you know, you are not on your own. You, there is um, many examples that I can give where I've had a really, really good race performance, but I've felt a little bit kind of underwhelmed and like, it's not quite as, as big or as amazing as I've kind of hoped for that those Mm. feelings. Um, is there anything, any little things that you would kind of, Simon, that you would kind of maybe uh, rehearse prior to the race or post-race to make those feelings potentially feel feel a little bit more satisfying? Yeah, I think 
probably draw slightly on the world of, of positive psychology if anyone's come across th this work which is basically the psychology of of positivity and and kind of happiness so one of the exercises that i'll work with people on is an exercise called three good things where you write down three good things that have happened at the end of each day and um all this is is a way to it's a positive reflection technique it's a way of um flipping your general bias towards negative because kind of primitively it's a good thing to focus on the negatives if there's a if there's a tiger jumping out at you then you need to be kind of attuned to that um Whereas um, when we're looking at kind of the, the positive side of things, we don't tend to focus on that as much naturally. So th this is a really nice exercise. So actually kind of post-race, that might be something that people could have a look at doing is just writing down, okay, what are three good things that happened during that race? Um, just attunes you to, 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 yeah, to the positive side. Mm -hmm. So, um, so yeah. So if you finish a race and you have, you wanted to get a, a top five for example and you've achieved a top five you got fifth mm. um i appreciate that the some of the things that happened in that race could have potentially skewed your your feelings of positivity but but writing down three positive uh positive things that happened in that race that that made you feel good and it and really kind of you know, having to think quite deeply about, okay, you know, going through the race and, and, and mapping those things out can, can draw your attention to those, to those positive uh, affirmations, I guess. Um, so next little topic we had um, was all to do with pre-race nerves and anxiety. And I've got a couple of clients um, who I know suffer with quite bad anxiety, you know, clinically they've kind of been, um, been even prescribed certain medication to help and, and so on. Um, mm -hmm. and it's a massive influencing factor in their race day performances. Um, but I've got, I've also got, you know, other clients who, you know, just say they generally feel a bit anxious going into, into races and the, mm. that they want some kind of mechanisms to help, help them cope. Um, just reading through a couple of messages here. So I'll just give you a bit of an insight, Simon. Um, one of the questions was, why do I possibly get so anxious when I'm riding in the pack uh, or, you know, in the peloton, I guess, um, you know, talking about previous crashes um, and pre-race nerves. Uh, one of the questions I had actually, which was, um, you know, about the, 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 the anxiety leading to the kind of uh, physical symptoms. So nervousness and feeling sick and therefore struggling to eat much at all on race days. Any tips to help with race day nerves and anxiety? Um, so, yeah, where where do you, what angle do you come at with this then, Simon? Because I, I appreciate it's uh, quite a big, big topic, really. It's a big topic, huge, absolutely massive. Yeah, so... I guess the first thing for me um, is the anxiety, depression, anything like that. Yeah, these are mental health conditions. So, you know, it goes without saying, really, seeking the relevant support if you feel you kind of are in that place is, is super duper important and, and going and getting some sort of um, kind of clinical therapy, whether it's cognitive behavioral therapy or something like that. Um, but I guess there's a distinction to be made between feeling anxious and 
having anxiety. So it is completely normal and normalization actually is kind of a, almost a technique in itself of um, feeling anxious. And, you know, Tom may remember the, the kind of the basics of, of sports psychology when we were kind of looking at stress and the um, the inverted U hypothesis, whereby there is an optimum level of stress. You don't want to be super duper chilled out going into a race because stress is a good thing. All those stress hormones that um, are released when we feel that way um, can actually improve our performance. Um, and there was a there was a TED talk I listened to um, maybe a couple of years ago now, kind of on this topic and. Um, specifically on how we perceive that. So when you go into a race, let's say you're at the start line, you can feel your heart rate going, um, the, the, there's kind of the, this kind of feeling of, of stress and anxiety going on. Um, th there's a couple of ways you can perceive that. You can either perceive it as, oh my God, I feel so stressed. I'm not going to perform very well if I continue like this. The other way that you could perceive this, which would also be completely legitimate, is... My, I'm, I'm excited. My heart rate is up because I'm, I'm so excited. I'm ready. Um, we could even go as far as to say, well, the reason that my heart rate is elevated is because um, it's my body getting more blood around my body quicker so that it can feed my muscles ready for this race. And actually that, and we've mentioned the word perceived a few times now, flipping that slightly is found to generally improve performance because you're 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 using the information that you're getting in in a much more positive way and neither of those is right or wrong really you know in in theory with what i said there about stress it is your body getting you ready um but sometimes it can just be a slightly unpleasant feeling as well which which mean which is the reason people can sometimes perceive it in uh, in that way so it's a really interesting area um and one that we probably won't cover in as much depth as as, as uh, it, it maybe dictates but um yeah those are a couple of kind of yeah. initial thoughts i've heard um i've heard clients who have uh you know said to me oh you know on the start line my heart rate was already at 160 beats a minute before i even started and and yeah, it, it, for me, it's been exactly the same, you know, I, but, but how you perceive those, uh, those kind of feelings, yeah. it's, it's those, those things, those physical things that happen are part of it. That is our body's reaction to, to the stimuli that's placed on it and, and the nervousness around it. But it's, that is not a negative thing that is only a positive it's just how you perceive them which can go either direction and um you know like you say I, I look at those responses and i think great my heart rate's right up there that's a positive thing because my body knows that this it needs to perform right now and yeah. it's ready to ready to do these things i mean i must admit you know pre-race nerves is not it's not for me it's not a nice thing particularly no. but but and 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 there's a certain, like you say, there's a certain level of that nervousness and anxiety, which is, which is great. I guess it's just when it sometimes spills over that, that, um, you know, over the, the peak as it were, yeah. when, when it can negatively impact performance. Um, and yeah. is there any specific um, ways in which we can help deal with these 
emotions. So if we feel like the anxiety is getting all that, so that uh, the, the nervousness is getting too much, mm. is there any specific um, ways in which we can help that those feelings and try and suppress them at all? Or is it not a good way of trying to suppress it at all? Yeah, I, I guess I probably wouldn't. I, I, I don't like the word suppress because that I guess that suggests that we're, we're ignoring it, which is certainly not yeah, what you would want to do. But when I've worked with people who've had uh, kind of performance anxiety, and again, this may be in a different context. It's, this may be when you're giving a presentation, for example. Um, there's lots of things we can do to calm that stress response. So I mentioned there stress hormones, and, and this is all kind of part of that stress response whereby we have a stimulus and our body reacts in a way that increases our heart rate um, and it's it's the activation of this branch of our autonomic nervous system the fight or flight system which which people may have come across before and and there are ways of calming that down and and what the one of the most basic ways of doing that is deep breathing techniques so um kind of in for five seconds hold for a few seconds and then out um for, for three to five seconds um and that's what just an example of one exercise that you can do in that moment to calm the nervous system but the, i mean there's lots of other things tom maybe you may be familiar with mm. um imagery as, as a technique as well which again i've used with people in lots of contexts in a sports context it, that's the that's actually probably the context it's most investigated in people will use imagery prior to a race to imagine themselves performing the actions um so they'll be imagining the race if you um i don't know if anyone's ever seen kind of a, a formula one driver for example or um someone who's doing like a more technical race um maybe kind of mountain biking you'll be re they, those people will rehearse the mentally rehearse the course in their head so they'll use imagery techniques to um Kind of think okay i'm going to do this in this corner i'm going to hit that part of the bend i'm going to do this and 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 again that that kind of that rehearsal can really help to get you in that positive space but just to um kind of discuss the way in which i've used that technique before is um when people are finding it difficult um not to not to perform particular behavior so for me i had one person who said to me i can't go into a supermarket without picking up a bar of chocolate <laughs> um which which is interesting again because that you know that that um absolute sort of criteria but i can't do this thing um isn't isn't necessarily true so we kind of went through a process of um doing an imagery exercise where that person imagined themselves going to a supermarket picking up a bag of carrots or whatever it is um, and walking straight to the checkout and rehearsing through these things that we feel like we maybe can't do and imagining ourselves coping in that situation coping imagery can be really really powerful definitely i i am um, one thing that i really focus on to help deal with my nerves um is because that because i get just as nervous as anybody else um prior to races and and you you know even those individuals right at the top of the game uh you know pro pro level athletes if anything mm -hmm. they'll probably get more nervous than than a lot of people that have asked these questions but it's how we deal with those nerves and one thing that i really helps me is just to focus on the things that i can control so having a timeline in my head or even written down physically 
which I focus on prior to the race. So making sure that I am going through like a pre-race routine, um, which I know works um, and focusing on these things that, that, you know, for example, what time do I start my warm protocol? What is my warm protocol going to be? What time do I, do I ingest a certain energy gel or whatever it might be? Mm. Um, and focusing on these, these key physical elements, which then, you know, again, not using the term suppress, but it detracts my mind away from focusing on, oh my God, I'm really nervous. Oh my God, this is going to be really, you know, um, and, and things like, again, for example, in a race, if I didn't expect the rain to start coming on and, and, Mm. you know, it's very easy to think, oh no, it's raining. It's going to be real slippery. Oh no, that's going to massively change the race. But actually, if you've pre-prepared that, for that um and you have you know packed a rain jacket you've you've packed a spare set of wheels with some different tires on and then you can quickly start to be proactive and think okay the rain's coming it's changed this okay how do i react to that that change in environment and focusing on what those things that you can control and make that environment as 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 good as it can be i can see you a little jotting some notes down simon i am jotting notes down yeah is there anything you wanted to add in on that no, I think just to almost formalize what you said there as, yeah. a, as a technique that people can tangibly go away and use yeah, definitely. Is, is definitely the, the planning and preparation, but also um, distraction you mentioned there as well, which again, you know, it sounds kind of obvious when you say it, but it that is a legitimate technique for helping people to to get over stuff. Um, that there's, there's all sorts of tools out there. Um, there's, there's a good app um, called uh, Calm Harm, um, and it was originally made for people who who were self-harming um, to distract them from those those thoughts. But actually, it's a, re- it's a really good app just to use for anyone who needs to distract themselves. It's like little puzzles and little games, stuff like that. Um, so that, 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 you know, that in itself is, is a really, um, really good technique. One question I've got for you, Tom, mm. is have you ever been in a scenario where you've planned to do something and maybe something's cropped up that's meant you haven't been able to do that thing? Mm. Yes. Um, yes. Multiple times. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it happens a lot, actually. Um, I'm trying to think of an exact perfect example, but, um, but yeah, it, very often. So for example, um, for example, we turn up to a race, a very typical one in, in cycling performance actually is you turn up to a race and you have a very set timeline of exactly when you're going to, like I say, start your warm protocol exactly when you're going to um, ingest some caffeine exactly when, cause you know, that caffeine peaks at a certain time, you know, that if you have an energy gel at this certain time, it's going to peak in your bloodstream at a certain time and so on. And then suddenly you've already had your caffeine. You've already warmed up. You're off to the start line, ready to go in 15 minutes. And then the race commissaire says, race timetables is being delayed by 30 minutes so we're not starting for another 45 minutes and then suddenly i'm like oh my god everything's got out the window my my caffeine's gonna peak too early my my blood sugars are gonna peak too early i'm already warmed up what do i do now so yeah that's something that that often happens yeah no i just thought it was interesting just just because i think i can think of examples where i think it was david beckham who used to have to have his shoes 
put on really straight and he'd oh, have yeah. to make sure they were tied in this certain way that made sure that his shoes were, were just put on in this really specific way to him. And and I, I it's really interesting because he's obviously a very high-performing athlete and um, these rituals that people go through are certainly um, helpful and, and can certainly support. But I think that those need to be supported with me- the mental flexibility mm. to be able to be okay with it, this, a situation where maybe you haven't been able to rehearse that. And as you said there, you know, it only takes a, a change in a schedule or a delay in the traffic when you're getting to, to a race or something like that to, to kind of really throw you off and, and, put, and not put you in what you perceive to be your optimum routine. And I guess there that mental flexibility sh- should come from, you know, okay, well, what is actually the tangible difference between having your caffeine um, you know, half an hour versus an hour or, or whatever it is, you know, before the race. Um, yeah. So, I, yeah, I, that, that preparation, very important. And, and I say there's lots of athletes who are good examples of that. But I guess just making sure that you're not, you're not um, hinging on that too much. Yeah. And I think if I look back to when I was maybe 18, 19 years old, I was very, very regimented. I have, I had very exact rituals, but what I've learned to deal with recently is that it's actually, I've been proactive in making sure that those rituals are more flexible, even when they don't necessarily need to be. So for example, um, I always used to have an exact meal weighed out in grams and everything that I used to have the night before a race. Um, put simply, it was a certain fish, it was some certain grams of rice, and it was, uh, you know, and so on. Now, I know that there's going to be situations in my life that I can't necessarily have that exact meal because, because I might be traveling at the time or I might go to the supermarket and they don't have that exact rice or whatever it might be. So what I've made sure is that I know that there's certain things that I shouldn't be having the night before a race and there's certain things which are better to have the night before a race but I I allow for flexibility even when I can have that regimented meal I allow for flexibility in that meal to conform within this spectrum of of uh, allowance so so that when yeah so that that those times when I can't be regimented with that meal then, then I'm already in that state where it doesn't matter. And, um, but also going on that point is I also make sure that although I've got this timeline for race day, I also make sure that I have contingencies so that if something did happen, there is other ways that I can manipulate that plan to therefore, um, you know, make sure I'm still not compromised for the, for the race. Um, so for example, if I arrive at the race start line when I'm already warmed up and I'm already ready to go, but then they tell me that it's going to be another 40 minutes before we start. Well, okay. What do I do? Do I, do I have a, I have like a second warm up protocol? Well, where I'll have another bit of carbohydrates and then I'll then rehearse another lower intensity warm up protocol to follow. And it's having these kind of backup plans, I guess, which Mm. roughly, you know, we can't stick to as regimentally, but you know that you kind of go to this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, Cause I've had athletes, I've had athletes before where they've just said, okay, you know, uh, that's gone to shit. So all I can do now is just sit here at the start line, freezing cold for 40 minutes and then they're not ready for a race. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so, so hopefully that, that 
touches on a, a couple of different aspects that we can help people with pre-race nerves. But it's amazing how um, certain aspects of this kind of mental mental state um, can have a massive direct effect on your physiological um, responses. So, for example, what this uh, lady mentioned on the question, her ability to actually digest, digest food, you know, she without feeling sick. Um, I mean, it's something that I've never personally troubled with is, is the nauseous feeling prior to a race, but I have seen competitors like literally just throwing up on the start line because they can't, they can't, um, stomach the food. Um, I think from a coach's standpoint and from a more of a physical standpoint, I would actually go down the route of saying, okay, well, is there anything physical going on, which, uh, with regards to your food selection, which actually might want to be manipulated. So, you know, if you feel nauseous before a race, yes, that will be influenced by your nervousness, I'm sure. However, yeah. is it also down to the fact that you've probably eaten too close to the race or you're eating the wrong things prior to the race? Um, I mean, this woman mentioned not being able to actually ingest anything. You know, her, she's, mm. her appetite is completely suppressed. Um, but is there actually certain foods which would work for you? You know, not necessarily going down that route of, oh, I have to eat porridge oats before on the morning of a, yeah. a, a race. But actually, is there anything else which on paper might not be as ideal, but it's still getting something in you which would be better than eating nothing? Um it's interesting because performance is just influenced by so many aspects. And the, the reality of that situation is that if you, let's say you do force some food down yourself, being in that stressed, nauseous state, but it's okay because I've got my food in, that's <laughs> yeah. probably going to put you in a much worse position than if you just said, you know what, I've had some breakfast. I'm just going to, I'm going to kind of just roll with it. And, and actually I'm not going to stress myself out. Yeah. So the, the, it's looking at performance globally in terms of the stomach thing. Um, th that most of the time will be, will be that fight or flight response that I was talking about. So one of the actions of that fight or flight response is that the, the blood that would be um, used to, for your stomach and would be directed towards your stomach in a relaxed state um, is distributed peripherally. It's distributed yeah. to your arms and your legs because that's where the blood needs to be when you're when you're active, when you're fighting or flighting, or when you're cycling. And so that is that that's just part of that response. So again, I would probably, if you're finding that you're getting really sick, I would look at those. Um, fight or flight calming activities and, and these might be something you want to build up over time but the breathing exercises the imagery exercises mindfulness training over a kind of uh, eight, eight week period as a minimum um, maybe something to look at um, and, and what that's going to do is just calm that side of the nervous system uh, reduce the stress hormone um, slightly before you race and it, and it may just have enough of an effect that you can just keep some sort of food down but then coupling that with what you said tom about okay well what foods are you going to have the simple the kind of simpler foods the, the, the sugary foods rather than going for yeah porridge oats or something that's going to be harder to digest exactly and and i've had i've had many clients that have you know they, they've thought oh i must force down 100 grams of porridge in a morning yeah. because that is the ideal breakfast or so on and so yeah. on but um yeah at the end of the day your performance will be 
massively derived by how you feel and 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 that has a much yeah. bigger impact on on anything else other than the exact grams of carbohydrates that you've had that morning um yeah. Yeah. just before um we go into the big overarching subject area at the end um i wanted to just just literally like touch on another little aspect that one of my clients has brought up here um he um to give you a rough overview um he has been in the past clinically diagnosed with depression and he suggests here that um he's had um as we've talked about previously um he suffers from bouts of low and very low mood um when this is happening he has negative outlook towards everything including training this is irrational um for a better for not for a better word as i know that 99 times out of 100 i feel better after exercising now i appreciate this isn't a question but i kind of wanted to just say that on the podcast and obviously obviously this is completely anonymous but i wanted to kind of just talk about that or, or, or explain what this person is, is going through on the podcast so that some people can kind of potentially listen to this and, and actually relating to it a little bit. He is very aware that at the time um, he isn't thinking straight, but find it impossible to redirect his reasoning. Um, he says, are there any techniques or mental processes that can help? Yeah, so it's a good question, and uh, yeah, I mean, depression is is. I think we've talked a little bit about mental health conditions so far. Um, obviously, neither myself nor Tom are um, kind of mental health professionals by any means. But in terms of, you know, I've I've certainly worked with people on um, unrelated goals. You know, for people who have um, got mental health conditions, um, and and you know, they are kind of part and parcel of the, the entire process and need to be um, need to be thought about. So in terms of um, techniques, I don't know whether this person's had any kind of therapy or anything like that, but there may be things that they can they can draw out of that therapy, which might be useful. Um, in terms of techniques and, and kind of ways of going about this, um, what I think one of the most difficult things uh, for someone in, in this position is kind of, rem you know, remembering that feeling of you, know, you mentioned there that tend to find that after the exercise session they do feel better but after actually beforehand they've got no motivation to do that so something i have used um uh, and spoke to people about previously within my own coaching is um this idea of uh, kind of similar to the future self exercise that i talked about a little bit earlier on kind of almost capturing um how you feel after a session and and you may look to do something like write down like a journal or something like that of okay, well, how do I feel right now in this moment um, straight after I've done my exercise session? Um, and you're almost writing to your future self to say, you know, this is how it feels. This is, this is what, you know, what, what's going to happen if when you've done this exercise session. And then when you are in that state where you're not feeling, you know, particularly good about yourself and you're finding it hard to motivate, you've got something there from a version of you that, that kind of has felt that motivation um, that you can perhaps read through and uh, understand uh, kind of from, from that different perspective, because, you know, when you're in that state, it's really hard to, to think outside of that. 
that's that is a very good technique i'm sure that, that and although i'm t- i'm coming at it personally from a different angle yeah there is many times when i've not felt motivated to do a certain session or do yeah. do a certain thing but now that you've said that having a journal on i like i know if i do a certain session even if it's not gone great, it'll mm. make me feel better afterwards. Yes. Um, and yeah, like, you know, having that kind of reflection on looking at something and, and seeing those responses would actually be that, that, you know, really, really motivating and make me want to, you know, kind of maybe be that switch that makes you want to go and, and do that. Mm. Um, okay. Now this is, probably the last big topic of the conversation. Um, And it's all to do with um, basically answering the question, is it all worth it? Now, this is something that I have been asking myself for the past, however long. Um, And it's something that I've kind of been struggling to come to terms with. And I'm only starting to really, understand of the past few months probably and a lot of it for me is just acceptance um and the term acceptance now before i go into my own experiences i'm gonna i'm gonna basically just again this is coming from two different clients when i asked some of my clients if they if they had any topics that i wanted to go over this was their response one of them said I sometimes question why I feel so motivated to train hard when I'll only ever be average and never win a race. Should I really know better at 55 years of age? I question what actually motivates me. And then the other, the other client asked, um, Keeping the infu- or, or said, keeping the enthusiasm and mental energy to train and race competitively while accepting I am slipping down the rankings as my physiology will never allow me to be competitive against new people who are coming into the sport. Then related to this is how to get through pushing myself in a session when plagued by thoughts of not, I'm not good enough and will never be good enough. So what's the point in going through the pain you have to endure? Um, and wow. so, yeah, so there's many different, many different kind of angles, which clients are taking yeah. on this from my own experience as well. I'm going to push, I'm going to like put loads on you right now, Simon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm my, absorbing it from my own experience. Again, it's that feeling for me right now of I years ago, I used to be at the top of my spot. I would probably say I've had my peak years as it were now, right now I have extra life stresses, so to speak. So, you know, my uh, 10 month old daughter and so on, I'm owning a bigger house. I'm owning, I'm owning a, a flourishing business and so on. So I have extra life stresses to, to, to work with compared to when I was 
20, 21 years old and, you know, had limited, uh, limited stress. And, and we know that you can train and race a lot better when you've got limited stress. So I've got all these things against me. So I know that training and racing is getting harder and harder throughout every single year. Not only that, have I also got physiology against me and that I am, unfortunately, I have reached my peak age, as depressing as that is. And I've also, I've surpassed that. I also appreciate there'll be lots of people listening to this podcast that are thinking, Kenel, you're only 29. Cheer up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I'm now looking at my own performances thinking I've achieved probably some of my best years. And although I do get a lot of enjoyment from racing and a lot of enjoyment of winning certain races and, and succeeding in certain events, I know that they are very, very few and far between. And is it actually worth devoting a whole entire year, a whole entire winter of training, going hard in the gym, pushing myself to maximal exertion, making my fit myself feel horrific for days on end because I've just done a horrifically hard session, uh, being very regimented with dieting, nutrition, and everything involved with sports performance just to get those few odd scenarios in the race season, which actually make me feel amazing because they are so few and far between. Now, before you kind of obviously chipe in and, and, and have a, a few maybe uh, more informed kind of uh, discussion about it, mm-hmm. I'll just give the listeners a bit of an insight into where I'm at right now. What I've realized is that although I've said what I've just said and my performances are never going to be at the level they maybe once were, I have finally, finally accepted that I am in a position where I am not enjoying the results. I am not enjoying the um there isn't a finishing line, so to speak, anymore, uh, quite as regimented finish line. Instead, I am now enjoying the process. So, and I, I'm not necessarily trying to quote James Clear, Atomic Habits here, but um, I am trying to, and I am understanding how that the process of getting myself to different performance levels changing my physiology and adapting my body in different ways. I'm really getting a lot of enjoyment out of that in particular. So as I spoke to earlier with you, Simon, right now, right now in this element, I am enjoying pushing strength and conditioning and, and, and the uh, performance increases I'm getting out of my strength and my lifts. And because week on week, I'm seeing progress and I'm enjoying pushing myself in those different domains. That is, I know that that's an integral part of my life and it's something that I've always done and I always get enjoyment out of seeing myself progress like that. Now, have I got one eye on summer and my racing performances? Yes, I have, because I know that the weightlifting I'm doing now will have a direct correlation to increasing performances in the long term as well. However, do I also know that I could be optimizing my whole training week and my home training cycle more 
to target those main events in the summer. Yes, I do know that. And I know that I could be doing a lot more cycling right now. And I know I could be busting my, my bum on the, on the bike a lot more. But I also know that it's unrealistic to be fitting in all of that right now in my lifestyle. So what I do instead is I don't necessarily look that far in advance anymore. I, I, I look at, okay, right now for this next six-week block, I'm going to push some weightlifting. When I get to the end of that six-week block, I'll see how I feel. If I want to keep pressing that, I will. If I want to step that back a little bit and introduce a bit of running or a bit of cycling and intervals, then I will. But I'm enjoying that manipulation of different training intensities, different training facets, and generally enjoying seeing that progression all the way through. Mm. Now, I also appreciate that's quite a bit different to a lot of people's scenarios. So going back to that general uh, enjoyment of, you know, that whole concept of, is it really worth it? What, what do we need to get at here, Simon? What do we need to um, kind of investigate and, and how, how do we try and kind of eke out that kind of that, that main reason and that main motivation where people are going? Yeah, this is, I mean, this is such a big topic um, and not, not one admittedly that I've explored in a massive amount of detail, but I guess where it, there, there is some sort of, uh, I guess, overlap with, with, with uh, kind of my day-to-day sort of area of expertise, I guess, is that kind of, um, obviously, you know, the coaching that I do, it takes into context someone's entire life. And it's really difficult. And it'll be this, I imagine it'll be the same for you, where you don't coach someone in isolation, as in you don't just get someone in and say, right, you are a cyclist, and I'm going to train you as a cyclist. And that is it. You know, you've already we've talked about so many times um how you've coached people who've had mental health problems they've had um various other things going on weight loss required um as part of their training regime and so many other factors within life obviously as you said you've you've recently uh, had a child and there's all these other factors within your entire life so it's it's a really it's a really broad and difficult question to answer in terms of this trade-off between what you're getting out of your training versus what you're putting in. And I think for a lot of people, when there's this consistent deficit over months and years, whereby you're putting more in than you're getting out, that's when people perhaps start to question whether they should continue as they are. Uh, And obviously what you've done is you've looked at that and said, actually, what do what what do I want to get out of this? So I'm looping this back around to the goal setting conversation that we've had, whereby you you set this kind of clear goal, um, which is to improve strength and also to to gain some enjoyment out of what you're doing. Um, so I think just as a first step in this very very broad mm. topic that we're covering, I think having a really good idea of what your expectations of your training are is really really important and it may take you months or or even years to come to a conclusion on what your expectations are 
but I suppose what the, the, the point at which it becomes difficult is when there's this gap between your expectation and the and the actual outcome. Absolutely. The um the I'm very mindful that we've we've been talking for quite a long time here. So like it's quite <laughs> yeah. a long podcast. So I, I'm also this is quite a, you know, it's, it's, as you said, it, it's such a, a huge topic and mm. there's many different um, angles, which people are coming at this from. Yeah. Um, I think from my perspective, I think it's, it's one thing that's, that's very true in, in, in a cycling specific uh, example is that, Cycling, even at a very, very low level, is a huge commitment. So let's take, because being relevant to the season right now, cyclocross, for example. When you consider all of the different bikes that you have to take to events, all of the different cleaning, all of the different logistical stuff fitted around family life, fitted around work life. You know, we've got individuals who work a nine till six, five days a week job. And then their whole weekend is taken up by bike racing. And, and these individuals are, are asking these questions and I can completely understand. This is such a, a huge thing to, to get your head around is that is all of this commitment worth it? Now, I guess the thing that, that people have to ask themselves is that, you know, there is a reason, there is an underlying reason why you're still doing it. Because if you, if, if there wasn't, to be quite honest, you would have sacked this off ages ago. <laughs> like, yeah. and, and like for me, the pros of racing right now in winter outweigh the cons because for me in winter, uh, there's less daylight hours, there is uh, a lot more involved with everything outside of the racing uh, that I would have to get for the enjoyment that I'm getting out of it. So for me personally, I'm happy to take a step back in winter, train, work on my weaknesses, and then race in, in summer. That, that works well for me. For other individuals, they really get a kick out of racing in winter. It keeps them motivated through, through those colder, wetter periods. They really enjoy... They massively prefer racing these cyclocross races, whatever other you know disciplines looking at in the winter and track racing, whatever it might be. And that is an integral part of what's holding them together as a person. It is part of their personality. And I know there's a lot of individuals where if they didn't have this racing, they actually would do naff all. That, like, I, I, you know, I know there's individuals that are listening to this podcast that if they weren't race, racing right now, they would be 20 kilos heavier. They would be, they would be very unhealthy individuals and they would be absolute couch, couch potatoes. And like, I'm not suggesting by any means that the individuals who have asked these questions, in fact, I know the individuals that have asked these questions are, are completely polar opposite to that. But, um, but the enjoyment which is involved with um, bettering yourself as an athlete 
and not only the results driven, but also um, all the social aspect involved in it um, is what's really pushing you forward. So I guess, you know, in terms of maybe something, something to do for these individuals would actually be to get a piece of paper like I have in front of me and write down all of the things which they enjoy out of the sport and enjoy in their thing. Now, I guess one of the person, one of the people touched on, okay, what is the point in pushing myself to maximal exertion in training when I know how hard it is, you know, well, I guess those individuals have probably got to ask themselves if, okay, let's look at the, 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 the truth of it. If they didn't push themselves as hard in training, then they wouldn't be as fit as they are now. They wouldn't, um, be improving their performance or maintaining their performance as well as they are now. So they'd only be going backwards. And then it's obviously a slippery slope because as they're going backwards, they probably wouldn't get as in much enjoyment out of the sport. Um, and again, I appreciate I've touched on a couple of different areas there. Is there anything else going on there that you could maybe touch on before we round that off, Simon? Nothing. No, I don't think there's anything specific. Uh, yeah, it, it really enjoyment is a, is a really interesting one, and um, I think yeah, I think the reality of the situation is if you are not getting any enjoyment out of doing something, there's there's an interesting psychology of yeah, why why are you doing it then? You know, how, what's what's keeping you there? Um, and I think, you know, tapping into that and really kind of having that that point at which you can reflect like what, what you've said there about um, just writing something down and having a bit of time to kind of figure out, you know, what are the positives of me doing this? What are the negatives? What are the things that I'm potentially sacrificing? Because on those weekends, you know, are you sacrificing time that you actually want to be spending with your family, for example, um, that you're not able to do because you're so committed to the racing um is that you, you i mean not to not to go off and open a can of worms but you said about the um kind of idea of identity and so you know if you've been a uh, been a, a racer since you were in your early 20s and or, or maybe even before that and then suddenly you're reaching into your 30s maybe maybe even to 40s 50s and you're starting to kind of doubt the the motivation and doubt your um yeah your, your general motives for wanting to to do stuff you know is this because you're kind of is this is part of your personality and you feel like it's you know without this what am i sort of thing you know that can be quite a hard um hard conversation to have with yourself um so yeah i mean really in that situation i think uh, not to plug not to plug you tom but actually kind of getting a getting a coach and trying to understand um you know where, where you where you want to be and what where your performance kind of mm. should be for you personally with, with respect to your all the other things in your life you know that 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 really is probably mm. uh, you know a good direction to go in i think people some of my clients who have who've actually come come on recently have found a new motivation because mm. um a lot of people have been plateauing in their race performances, in their race uh, results and, and so on. Um, and that is stalled their motivation and their willingness to keep going. But then actually when they see, find a coach and then they, they, they find another, another um, 
few percent in their performances every single week and they can see themselves getting better. Um, you know, kind of progression is very, very addictive. That's what mm. I've found. When you see yourself progressing, that is a huge motivator. And actually, if there's anything that's holding you back in that progression, and then you see yourself plattering, that can be the thing that's stalling your, your motivation. I can also understand that there'll be the, there'll be some individuals who are listening to this, this conversation now. And I, I can I can see it now. Like there'll be a few kids that are 18, 19, 20 years old <laughs> on the bike ride right now, listening to this podcast, that are thinking, what on earth are they on about? Cycling is mint, racing is mint, everything about it is mint, you know. Yeah. But um it just shows that there is many different mindsets with racing. And, you know, if I go back 10 years ago, I would have had, I'd been listening to this podcast thinking the same thing. I'd be thinking, well, you know, what are they on about? Why, why, why would you be talking so negatively about this whole thing? It's such a big, mm-hmm. big part, but, um, but yeah, it just, it's amazing how it escalates. And one thing that I will say is that anyone who's listened to this podcast, which is having these, um, kind of these thoughts it you are not alone like even for me as a performance coach performance cycling coach who's been in the business for so long you know and and arguably in some some races that i might be performing well in you might think that i'm so well motivated and everything's together and everything's good but there is a lot going on and one quote that I always like to say is that athletes are made of all the days you don't see and not just the ones you do. And there's a lot of stuff in the background that these athletes are having to pull themselves through and find motivation when they're their lowest. And, and actually, you know, a lot of it is just a mental game and it's, it's actually in those cold, dark, shitty weathers and, those days when they're getting up similar to I did five o'clock in the morning, like, you know, talking about me getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go and beast myself in the gym, putting myself through incredible pain and discomfort for multiple reps and sets. And you say, for what, why? And the answer to that is, to be honest, it's not massively down to how that's going to affect my race performance in summer. It's actually down to how that session, doing that session at five o'clock in the morning, I couldn't fit it in at any other part of my day because I knew that what my day was going to be like. And I knew that if I did sleep in and I could have got up at probably seven, half seven today and had another couple hours in bed. Um, but how would that have made me feel for the rest of the day? I know I've got a fairly sedentary day in the office today. So knowing that I've got up and done my training, and done well in that and progressed in that has made me feel so much better about the rest of the day. And it's, and sometimes it's not just about, okay, thinking, Oh, you know, get, Oh, I have to get up at five o'clock in the morning because if I don't, then I'm not going to get faster in summer. Actually, it's just taking it as a snapshot of your day and how, how the process of every individual day makes you feel. And I'm not suggesting here that obviously, you've got to get up every day and, and smash out a hard session because it'll make you feel better. We all know that rest and recovery is important and so on and so forth, but um, it's, it's all these little things and, and, and combine, combining them together is what makes us 
athletes. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I, the thing with this podcast is, and I'll, and I'm saying this to you, but also to all the listeners is that we've covered a lot of different topics here and we've glanced over quite a lot of different topics. Yeah. And I know that Simon, me and you have had at length discussions on every single thing that we've talked about here for ourselves, yeah. not, not from a, a, a podcast perspective. So as ever, we never have enough time in the day to talk about these things, but I'm hoping, <laughs> I'm hoping that listeners, you've got a bit of an insight and, and anyone who's asked any, any questions here, you um, have hopefully found some benefit in this podcast. Um, I'm probably going to round it up there. There's a couple of other things that I was going to talk about, but I'm mindful of how long this podcast has been going on and I'll save them for another day. Yeah, cool. Thank you very much for coming on this podcast, Simon. Thanks for having me. Um, as a last little thing, just off the top of my head, if you were to offer one health tip as insignificant or significant as you would like it to be to anybody, what would it be? A health tip. Anything. Anything. I'll give you one first. I'll, I'll go, say one go first. Go on. I hope you don't steal mine. I've got an idea now. <laughs> <laughs> I, bet it, I bet it is. Go on. Daylight exposure. Oh, that's a good one. I, especially in winter months, the more we can expose ourselves to daylight, the better. If you are in a job where you spend a lot of time indoors, especially in winter, and you don't see any daylight, that is going to be massively affecting your sleep, your circadian rhythm, and your general mental well-being. Mm. Try as hard as you possibly can to get as much daylight exposure as you can in the day, ideally in a morning. So if you've got an hour or so before the sun, uh, after the sun comes up, before you go to work, try and have a little walk or at lunchtime, and it will massively help your mental and physical well-being. What's your sign? I think I'm, I'm going to go quite generic here, but um, practice movement patterns. I think for, we've talked about how um, doing strength training is, makes us feel good anyway. Um, but I just think for anyone of any age, just being able to do a basic, something like a squat, something like a you know, deadlift um, and, and being able to have these basic movement patterns, just that reduction in injury risk, all that sort of stuff. For me, um, I won't go too much depth, but you know, I've, I've had various injuries in the past and, and doing this training actually recently for me over lockdown, I've had quite a similar to you, had a bit of a focus on the, on doing strength training. I've just seen massive, massive benefit from it. So uh, yeah, that'd be my, I think my number one. It's a big one for cyclists as well, because yeah. there is, I mean, I talked about it at length, in the previous podcast or two podcasts ago, but the amount of cyclists who have a desk job and then their only form of exercise is cycling. And the, yeah, so <laughs> they massively are compromising their posture, their long-term health and mobility. Um, and yeah, like you say, even, and it, it can be very easy to intertwine to your day, just some very, um, simple at home mobility drills. Um, yeah. You know, it doesn't always take going into a gym, but, um, but yeah, good point there, Simon. 
for anyone who is interested in any of the subject areas which we have talked about today or wants to contact Simon directly for any of his coaching, he can be contacted via his website, which is atlcoaching.co.uk. And I will put a link to that in the notes of this podcast. For anyone who is interested about any of my performance coaching with regards to any training plans, any performance coaching packages or strength training packages, or you just want a general chat about how to increase your performance, then please go onto my website, which is edgecoaching.cc. And I'll also put a link to that website in the notes as well. Thank you very much, Simon, for being on the podcast. Um, And thank you very much, listeners, for listening to this podcast. But until next time, see you again.